Welcome to the latest edition of the Career Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Craig McGregor, and we're really excited as we have our first sponsored podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Biz Synergy, and we'd really like to thank the team at Biz Synergy for their support of our podcast. It's a great career conversation we have today with Jane McConville from 5-7 Consulting. You'll have to hang around and listen to the podcast to hear about where that name comes from. Jane has travelled a really interesting career path and we have a great uh, career chat with her that spans a couple of states and a territory and you'll gain some great insight into the how and why of her career and also her business. At Biz Synergy, we are more than just bookkeepers. We are your outsourced accounts team who do bookkeeping, payroll, accounts payable, accounts receivable, management reporting, end of financial year prep, STP, IAS, BAS, add-on integration and more. Ooh, sounds like a fun list, doesn't it? Why not let us take it off your hands? But we are even more than that. We are your experience, knowledge base and a need to listen. Gain access to a mix of bookkeeping and accounting skills without the need to worry about space, training, key person reliance, supervision and unexpected leave. We give you time back and help you know where you're going and how you'll get there. Let us be your human and caring support crew. Biz Synergy, creating synergy in your business. You can find us on Google or Facebook. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group. People-centric recruiters, HRG looks to use technology and personal interviewing techniques to ensure the best fit possible for both the candidate and the employer. We operate labour hire and temp services for various sites, conduct permanent recruitment searches and have an innovative program we call temp to perm You can find us on the web www.hrgroup.com .com.au or search for us on your favourite social site, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. Whether you're an employer looking for a fantastic new team member or you're an individual seeking their next great career move, start a conversation with Hunter Recruitment Group today. So welcome to the Career Conversations podcast, Jane McConnell. Thank you. So it's great to have a, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit excited about chatting to you because you're a, a fellow HR practitioner or someone in my space, my world. I am, yes. Excellent. Sorry. And we've been introduced by our sponsor today, um, uh, Deb Mirish from Biz Synergy. So let's start there. How do you know Deb? Uh, I've been working with Deb now for probably three years. So she um, originally helped me out setting up our bookkeeping and all of our zero setup for the company. And then over the course of the last few years, she's actually helped a lot of our clients out as well. So we like to help out her clients. She helps out ours. And yeah, it's just a really good team over there. So. Referral networking at it its is. best. It is. Good start. All right, well, let's start at the start. Tell me about Jane. Where did Jane grow up? Um, I grew up in Gunnada, New South Wales. <laughs> so I went to, did all of my schooling there. Uh, when I left school, I went to University at Griffith in Queensland. So literally got as far away from the small town <laughs> as I could. Um, I did a science degree to start with. So um, that was a great use of my HEX account. Um, I then transitioned and so did why, law. Why did you, go from Gunnada, leave and go and do science? Why? Um, I did an environmental science degree. I think I had notions that I was going to so save the world. It? I finished it, yep. yeah. Okay. Um, I think I was going to save the world um, one tree at a time. I was about halfway through that degree when I picked up the law degree as well um, with an intention that I would do environmental law. Um, 
I took a hiatus in there and went and worked in Sydney for a couple of years before I went back and finished both the degrees that graduated at the same time. Um, so yeah, I think it was probably all in all took me about six years. <laughs> that's that's cool. I, I, why did you like the law subjects? Tell me. I'm, I'm interested because my path is similar. I started in a consumer sciences course at, at uni mm-hmm. and that was because I couldn't get into what I wanted to do, which was accounting. Uh, Deb would love to hear that. And then <laughs> when I started accounting, I hated it. But I loved the legal subjects. I just loved them. Why did you love those subjects? Um, well, originally when we were going through you know, that whole HSC process, um, way back when, law was actually my first preference and I think I missed out I'm gonna say by like a one and a half marks and getting in and so my second preference was science and once I got there I actually found out okay well if you do really well in that first year you just transition to the course you want so it was just yeah it was just (laughs) one of those moments where you think someone could have told me that you know 12 months ago when you're you know a mess on the floor because you missed out on the course you wanted so the science um, I've always loved. I still love it. I mean, I can my kids know lots of interesting facts about science. The law, I think, I was fascinated by the process, um, the history behind it. Um, and whilst I know a lot of people see that that legal area is very black and white, I liked the fact that the outcome largely depended on how you ran the process um, and the research and the effort and all of those things. So I think I was appealed to, it appealed to that very process-driven side of my brain, probably very similar to the science yep. science side of things. Transferable, so. yep. yeah. Okay, yeah. tell me about the, the role in Sydney. Was it legal or was it outside of your space? Um, it was one of those, you know, the revolving door moments. Um, I moved to Sydney um, very randomly. I moved in with my sister and I need to find a job. No going back to Canada? Nope. We contemplated that for a very small amount of time. (laughs) I think mum was pretty happy we didn't all move back home. But I had a choice between, there wasn't a lot on the market. Um, There weren't a lot of environmental science jobs. Um, It was the early... 2000s it wasn't that popular uh, yet so there was just nothing there I had a choice between before we moved did you know that when you started the degree I find this stuff really fascinating the the economics of employment the supply and demand of I'm going to go and do a environmental science degree did you have the knowledge that hey there isn't that many jobs out there or did you just go no there'll be a job for me I think I was just driven by the passion yep. for it. The, it didn't actually Which occur to good. me that That's a good way oh, yeah, to be. You know, you've actually got to get a job at some point. The, when I enrolled in the environmental science degree, Griffith University at that time was actually the first university to offer that specific degree. Previously, you could do science degrees with majors, but this was the first time in Australia there'd been an environmental science degree. So. Um, logic should have told me that there was a limited number of jobs as a result of that but uh, be that as it may it was still going to save the world got to Sydney there aren't any I actually and I can't remember what company it was for but I went and met with a guy who wasn't in environmental uh, science role and he actually sat me down and said you won't find a job Um, and I'm like oh okay that's a interesting thing to be told he said if there are jobs um, you'll find it's jobs for mates Um, he said might be different in 10 years you're probably better off going and looking for something else so I walked out thinking right okay 
okay, well, we need to like broaden our search a bit more. And then I had a choice. Um, I was interviewed and offered two different jobs. <laughs> one was the receptionist in a funeral parlour <laughs> and the other one was in the administration team for the Catholic Commission for Employee Relations. So... So these were nowhere near environmental <laughs> Nowhere science. near it. But I thought, okay, well, it's work. I can go back and finish my law degree while I'm doing that. By then I'd finished the science degree, but because I'd combined them, I couldn't graduate until I'd finished the law. Yeah, okay. So went, I didn't choose the funeral parlour and worked at CCER. I started in the admin team. I was there for probably about six months. Um, and one of the managers, just on an offhand comment, um, asked me like what I'd studied. And I said I'd studied science, but um, that I was only like a year and a half from finishing my law degree. And I remember him saying, why are you in the admin team then? And I said, well, this is the job I applied for. And he's like, nope. And they literally picked me up from that team and put me into an employee relations Advisor you, role. Was employee relations your major? Was that the, no. no. So no. W- when you when you take me back, so you finish well, to complete the environmental science stuff. You're doing the legal. Did you have visions of you being a criminal lawyer, or what? What did you want to do? Um, an environmental lawyer. So environmental lawyer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So originally to save the world, um, we then got a talk from BHP, and I realised how much money you could earn there. But it was still very much, okay, this is just going to get me through. Environmentalists can't go to BHP. I know. I wouldn't have have really done it, maybe. Um, It it was just to get me through. It was an income. I could then do my study. I thought remotely so that I could be in Sydney earning the money um, with my sister and then go back and finish the degree at the same time. I actually really liked the employee relations uh, work, so as luck would have it, it worked out quite well. I'd already done employment law as a subject, um, so that at least I had some foundation, but I was really lucky that one of the directors, um, or the senior managers there, was a really good mentor in terms of getting me used to the processes and those sorts of things. So he found you, you didn't find it? It was by default. Um, And then from there, I actually stepped out of that role and into a child protection role. So CCR managed two components, employee relations uh, for the Catholic employers in New South Wales and child protection, so investigations files. By default, I had a um, natural affinity to investigation process, so... I did that for, I think I was there for five years. Um, about halfway through that, it might have been less than five years, halfway through that, um, I was told by Griffith University that they wouldn't approve me transferring my degree or doing my subjects from Sydney. So we had um, to then make a choice around whether or not I redid a whole heap of subjects through Sydney University or we moved back to Brisbane. So. So you jumped back to Brisbane, so, you then part-time uni and working at the same time? Nope. Just full-time study? Just full-time, no, full-time both. Full-time both. So, wow. um, again, um, uh, one of the guys from CCR called Eric uh, put me in contact with Brisbane Catholic Education and said, I've got someone moving up there, you'll like her, meet her. So on one of our trips up, I met with uh, John and 
said, this is my very random yep. background. I can do these things. I've got a science degree if you've got use for it. <laughs> um, and then ended up in their employee relations team. So one of their solicitors was going on maternity leave. So in the first instance, it was a maternity leave replacement with them full time. And then I went back to uni with a full time workload. Yeah, wow. well. just busy. squeezed it a little bit. Didn't have children, yep. so got yeah. a lot more flexibility. Time. Yeah, so it was um, it was a really good team to to work in, and as luck would have it, it was a bit of a revolving door of maternity leave. So between the solicitors and so yeah. did you did did this vocational move into employee relations um, impact your study? Did you then veer down the um, employment relations? pathway through your degree or did you stay in that environmental law pathway? Um, no, it did. Because I'd already finished the science degree, there were a few electives that I sort of switched out to have a more commercial IR focus. Um, and then a lot of them were still a few core subjects that had changed since I started, so I had to redo. But it was very much um, from a process perspective, it was more geared towards that employment law area than anything else and in working with the solicitors in-house it was was about that point that I made the decision that I would actually work um, internally and not within a firm so it was that call around okay do you do your admissions and be admitted as a solicitor or do you just work as a professional with a legal background so um, it, I made that sort of choice at that point to say no. This so why was that? You just enjoyed what you were doing or what was the main driver? I, I think over the course of, so by then it was probably eight years, um, I'd really become quite invested, so to speak, in the process, the people, the learning, the flexibility that you had in that broader employee relations HR field as opposed to a more narrow view in a firm that the problem comes in, you solve the problem, the problem finishes. So it was, I could already tell at that stage that I was potentially not going to be a fit for a law firm where I wasn't going to have that high level visibility you know, from strategy to finish. Yep. So that's, yeah. a, that's pretty cool that you got to experience that through your studies, create your own path almost, yep. take the different subjects. But it's a good lesson for those kids, like you, know, you mm. mentioned before, stressing about university and admission and not getting what you wanted and then being able to transition that into an eventual career path. That's a great lesson for them to know that, hey, if you go down path A, that doesn't shut off path B, C, D and E. Um, yeah. You'll find it. Yeah, and I think that was... You know, I sometimes do that reflection piece and go, okay, what would I tell my children when mm. they get to that high school point? Because at that stage, in the 90s, there was a lot, it was a lot of pressure around the HSC and going to, to university and particularly in a small town where going to university actually meant you have to leave. Yeah. You've got to go somewhere. Yeah, no, the online uh, learning wasn't around. <laughs> no online learning. Um, it... It was a lot of pressure and I think if I'd, you know, with my children I'd be saying, the decision you make you know, when you're 19 is not the decision that you're locked into for 90 years. Mm. Like it's, you can change your mind mm. every two years if you want. Um, and I think that's probably what I, I'd be encouraging. Even at this stage, I've said it to my team, you don't like doing that, fine, we'll find something else for you to, yep. to dip your toes into. Okay. And so, so before we move on, happy with your decision? Yeah. yeah. 
I, I, you know, you have those moments where you go, would I have chosen this <laughs> if it didn't happen by default? But I think it's given me a lot of great opportunity. Um, I've had a lot of flexibility and I've had really great mentors along the way. And overall, I don't think I'd change any of it, so. Excellent. Mm. All right. So where to from there? So you're in Brisbane. Yep. Throw your cap in the air. You've been working, working away. Yep. So I was there for in that team for five years. Uh, we in that time we'd gotten married. We were pregnant with our first child. I had graduated with both certificates. Nice. And oh, I think I may have been. <laughs> about 27 weeks pregnant when I went home uh, to my now husband and said, we live too far away from our family. <laughs> so he said, oh, what do you mean? And I said, Kids what, if, what if the child gets sick? Who's going to look after them? What if I can't go to work? So within about four weeks, we had packed up and moved to Newcastle. Yep. So why Newcastle? We had friends that were already down here. Um, a lot of the friends that we had from high school um, and from university had moved to Newcastle. We did not want to move back to, to Gunnada. Uh, my husband's in construction and Newcastle was booming. It. Yeah, it was yeah. a good place at that time. So it seemed logical. It's not Sydney. It's not Gunnada. It's by it's the beach. It's not too far. It's close enough. Mum and dad need to book in to come and see us. They can't just knock on the door. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Uh, so we, I took maternity leave early, so kind of wanted to not resign because I really loved the team that I was working in and make sure that we were making the right decisions. So John let me take maternity leave. We moved. Uh, we lived with friends for a little while. Luckily, we made it into a house before we had before we had Georgia. <laughs> so uh, yeah, he got a job and I was on maternity leave. Uh, down here and then once I was ready to come off uh, maternity leave I ended up going and working at Life Without Barriers. It's at a recruitment ad, went in for an interview, was appointed and I think I was an employee relations advisor maybe, national employee relations advisor. Uh, I think in my first week the manager changed over so I was interviewed, I started, the manager moved, we got a new manager and I was there for yeah quite a while. I was in the employee relations team and then ended up moving into um, a national position as what was the title? Was that? National Senior Advisor Legal and Risk. So because I did have a background in child protection, student protection, I did a lot of work in Life That Barriers in their, with their reportable conduct okay. work um, and their IR. So I worked largely across IR and reportable conduct and so this was your first role in that space that you'd kind of chosen. Yeah. Tell me about the experience. So like you said, it was a national role. So it was a good good start for you in that yeah. space. Tell me about some of the, well, probably can't get into too, too much details, but some detail of, of what sort of stuff you were working on. So I happened to roll into that position uh, right as the Fair Work Act yeah, was okay. coming in. So the modern awards yep. were literally, I think I started in maybe November. Um, the modern award was scheduled to come into effect on the 1st of January. So it, there was this very weird scenario where I'd left Queensland, so I was already coming to a new state. I'd been on maternity leave and now I was coming back to a whole different employment yeah, landscape. It was totally different. 
was totally different and from a life without barriers perspective it was really it was a complex award Mm. that they were then trying to have to move towards because you've got state operations and now a federal award and transitional arrangements across each of the states so we'll still be going through some shad's transition yeah (laughs) worst whatever (laughs) so there was a lot of work in the background um, and working with payroll and trying to sort out all of those arrangements, rostering requirements, it was a massive transition. Uh, but it was good. I like it was a really good challenge. It was a good team that we had at that like when we were there. Um, and then once that had settled down, I actually went and had another baby. Yep. So I went on maternity leave and it was when I came back that I actually moved sort of away from that uh, more traditional HR team and into the that national position where I had I guess the position wasn't as into the detail as I had been for the rem- for that first period yeah. in my career. So what were you working on there? That was at more at a strategic level um, and more at an advisory level to the rest of the business and operations. So that was, I guess, my first foray into not being so much in the detail and in the interpretation and sitting back and seeing and participating at a more advisory and strategic level. And that's probably when, when I went, this, this is what I like. I like doing this. So it, I really enjoyed that role and it was a hard one to leave. I job shared it with um, what is now a good friend who also works with me. And between the two of us, like it was just that nice combination. I was able to work part-time. She was able to work part-time. And yeah. why, why did you, why was that the role you loved? I think it was that bigger picture piece and I think it was that same... Um, so give us an example of a big picture. Some people listening might not understand. Like they might think marketing, yeah. okay, yeah, we've got to put this strategy around how to sell a product. What's the big picture around IR? So in terms of the IR work, a lot of it was on like that strategy and rostering and change management and how do we roll this out and what are the impacts going to be as opposed to being in the weeds and being about this is it's yes no this is the answer this is what applies in this very narrow scenario there was also a whole element of that role which was more around um, like frameworks what are our quality frameworks Um, you know what are our process frameworks how do we build resources to support the team as opposed to being a user of those things so you know user you know, as a user you're accessing you know, fact sheets and templates and management handbooks and in that senior position we were building those things and it was I think from a challenge perspective it was just that challenge that I was looking for at that period of time and probably the same level of same little light bulb moment as when I made that decision that that narrow um law firm experience wasn't necessarily going to be satisfying for me it was that same experience that oh it's going to be hard to go back to that very narrow hr tell me about let's go back to the weeds so when you're in that role and like i'm probably coming from experience myself i've worked in a hr ir role in manufacturing the weeds were crap i hated working in that space some of the issues that i had to deal with were just frustrating did you have a similar experience? And so moving up, was was that one of the things to go, oh, I'm away from that day to day? Yeah, and I think it gets a bit repetitive. Yeah. Like, oh, I've already solved that problem last yeah. week. And yeah. I'm saving this, solving the same problem again. So there was that element of it. And I think it became routine. 
Um, you know, at this age, I know enough about my personality to know that I like change and I yeah. like to be able to have that opportunity to do things differently. And in the weeds is very much a routine and process-driven space that I don't Was there much um, unionisation at um, yeah, yeah, there was. Um, I think... How did you find that relationship? I actually... I'm one of those people that says the unions aren't necessarily the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at that point in time, and haven't been there for a long time. I found it fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that thing that says more about our personalities yeah, yeah. than anything else. <laughs> but it's a yeah, it's a dynamic that uh, it's changing. It's changed since twenty years since I've done it. But um, yeah. I just yeah, some people go, oh no, I don't want to deal with that. Whereas yeah, I, I, I reflect on it. I remember sitting in EBA negotiations and sitting across the table like we are now, and and um, being heated having a raised voice, having someone yell at me, and then we'd walk out and have lunch and talk about his boat or fishing or something like that. And then we'd come back in and we'd go at it again. I kind of, kind of think of it like a sporting thing. Like yeah. The guys that you play sports against, the girls you play sports against, they're not your enemy. No. But in that 20 minutes, you go at them, but then you go and have a beer with them afterwards. That was kind of how I felt, but it was just frustrating and difficult don't remember at, getting any beer. <laughs> um, look, I think it was... And I don't know, it's been a while since I worked there, but at that time, uh, there was a pretty good relationship with the union. Yeah. I mean, same thing. Like, yeah. it was always going to be tense at time because they have or well, had their interest and, and we had ours. But it was always quite amicable that you know, if there was an issue, we could work with them. And sometimes, you know, it, having a union or a third party there can actually assist yeah, the process. Um, and I that was something that I'd learnt very early on. The manager... Um, John, who I had in Brisbane, is a very good mentor. Like that was his philosophy. You've got to be able to work with them, mm. and they would even go so far as joint communique around negotiations and those sorts of things. So it was that strategy that I'd learnt very on that this there has to. Whilst there's not always going to be cooperation, there has to be collaboration, and that sort of put me in good stead when I was at Life Without Barriers. And we did. I mean, we were changing awards, and it was people's pay that we were playing around with in yeah, their rosters and um, not contentious but a time of a lot yeah. of conversation with unions yeah and so you, you know, had to be collaborative life that barriers in their in their history is it grew really quickly mm-hmm. uh, so there was a lot of catch-up that had so to happen around the time of ndis changeover as well or was that post you no that was as just as i was yeah. i was leave had left i think yeah. and that was starting to come in so it was pre that mm-hmm. but it was still that period of you know um there was sort of that it was just a massive and yeah. rapid growth for that organization so the union involvement was not necessarily a bad thing but it was definitely there yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay hmm. and so that strategic tell tell again so you're looking at um trying to just educate the listener more on you know what a an ir manager does for what, what sort of size what sort of organization size is, is life without barriers at that time was it 20 employees, 1,000 no, employees? No, I think it was upwards of 1,000. Yeah. So um, it was a large organisation. Yeah, so you've got this national 1,000 um, people. What's the, the, the bulk of your role in that sort of high-level space? When I was in the legal and risk position, um, it was an interesting one because a lot of our stakeholders were operations managers across the various regions okay. and, and states. So you're like an inter, like you talked about, you're an internal resource yep. for those managers. Essentially a shared advisory role. Excellent. Um, and as largely compliance as well. So an issue comes up. So we they come to up. you with an issue. Yep. And then, yeah, then they're wanting advice. And even a process. So they yep. may come and say, this is the process. 
we either can't do it or it doesn't work and how can we do it better, that sort of thing. From a strategic position, I think everybody, in you know, anyone's career, you've always got that point where you are in the detail and you're in the weeds and people love that. Like I've got people in my team, I've got yeah. you know, people I've worked with and they are, that for them is what gives them energy. From a strategy perspective, I think you either love it or you don't. And the strategy is about being able to remove yourself from that level of detail and the process that's been undertaken and what's historically people have been attached to and then look and see, is there a better way to do this? Um, Is this the right way to do it? And what potentially looking for that bigger picture, looking for what does it look like next year, in two years and in five years and how is the process that I'm designing or the framework I'm setting up going to enable that to, to happen? And I think that's, again, one of those things you either love that or you just want to be back down here using that framework. Mm. So I think that's the, for me, that was the easiest way to differentiate between the two. One, I'm looking at what I'm doing this week and solving my problems for here. And the other position was, okay, I can see what's happening here, but what does that need to look like in this next period? Perfect. That, That helps. So that's what I was trying to yeah. trying to get to because I just want to make sure people understood that. So. Yeah. All right. So tell me about life after life without barriers then. So um, after that, I went. I decided to be a consultant. So I can't actually remember how the connection happened. Uh, someone had, I think, recommended that I um, meet the people at Perform HR and let them know about my background because it was you know, slightly off kilter in that none of it was quite by design so there was a lot of experience across different sectors um, different fields and then I ended up starting to work in the first instance casually and then part-time as a senior consultant or as an employee relations specialist there Um, and then I just instantly loved that I I don't think you'd be you'd be hard-pressed to get me back in an internal role well I was going to ask about that I think (laughs) most people who transition from an internal role into a consultancy role um, there may be an initial struggle or it's a very different feel like I use it like with my um, consulting and HR and in recruiting type space I I feel like I was I tell people I was an important person I went to important (laughs) meetings um, when I worked in that space to then I was the guy in the corner ringing people trying to get work or they take my advice and not listen to it and I go ah okay they just want my advice that sometimes I'm not going to get the response. But the only other thing that I did miss was just the day-to-day seeing the fruits of your labour a lot more. Whereas in a consultancy job, you, you, you fly in, you fix a problem or you give them a process and then you might not see them for another 12 months. So how did you go with that transition? Um, I actually liked the, the transition and I've said it to even when I'm interviewing consultants. Um, consulting's either for you or it's not. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty hard line. Some people love it and some people just, yeah, you'll work out very quickly. I, the transition for me, I think probably the hardest thing was that piece around, oh, the client doesn't actually have to take my advice. <laughs> um, you know, you put all of this effort in and you give this advice and then they go, no, I'm going to do something different. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay. So there was, there's, a, there's an element of pride that you have to let go yeah, in that it, it is, you are there in an advisory capacity and you're there to help them with their capability. Um, they're not always going to do what you think they should do. And that's okay. So that was a, an easy sort of transition. And once I'd sort of built up that 
um, client pace and got the feel for the best way to approach the advice because when I was in, like as an employee relations specialist, you're actually supporting people on things that are highly emotive for the client. I mean, they're not going to be out there telling everyone around what it is that they're yeah, trying to, to manage. Um, it's their delicate situations. So it, it did take that while to build that level of confidence in the people that I was working with that, no, we, I can help you That's do really this. That's a good point too. It's not like it's in today's social media space, you can't pop on Facebook, hey, help someone with a uh, theft uh, issue at their workplace that uh, blah, 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 there's someone embezzling money and I've just done this piece of IR that's kind of highly confidential, so. Yeah, and that's, it It does take a while to build that level of confidence in your client base that you can be Mm. trusted, for want of a better word, with Mm. these really delicate scenarios. So um, after a while, um, I ended up, um, too much work for me, so ended up building a small team. So we had an employee relations team and there were some people working under me. um, And then eventually, I think that was about five years, um, I'd been working quite big hours and made the decision that the the kids were getting a little bit older, I was going to wind it back a bit. in hindsight, so naive of me. <laughs> I thought, you know what? I'll just work 20 hours a week. Um, I'll do standalone consulting. Um, you know, I'll get the house, I'll have a clean house and yep. you know, everything will be organized. I'll be able to get something out of my linen cupboard without everything falling out. Um, it did not work like that. <laughs> so in March, 2017, um, we started, I started 5-7 and it was just me for the first six months awesome. um i was lucky there was so, uh, let's, before yeah. you tell me about that so five seven yep. so you've um you've gone from uh internal consulting with the perform hr guys yep. um i know those they're a lovely bunch i always i remember when they first set up and, and you're kind of in that space it was always seemed to me that it was always mums mums yep. mums with excellent skills that were looking for part-time work and then they maybe transitioned into full-time work within yeah, that so consultancy firm Exactly. Um, and now you've made a decision to, to jump. Tell me about the jump. Um, so it's it was more around the, the, the time you were looking for. Yeah, it was a time piece. Um, <laughs> my husband also calls it my five-year attention span, <laughs> that I need to do something new and exciting every five years. Um, but it, it really was, it was that moment, it was actually like a before Christmas moment where, you know, you're feeling a bit exhausted uh, by the year and that that decision that it's time to it's time to do something different next year and maybe wind it wind it back um you blink and small children are bigger children so it will happen very quickly like it was i remember just going home and sitting on the lounge and my husband coming home and me going i quit my job <laughs> and he said it's three weeks before christmas i said yep Yep. And he's like, okay, I'm assuming there's a plan. Like, yep, there's kind of a plan. So at that stage, um, like I still worked out um, till March and did quite a long um, notice period and handover. Um, And in that time, you know, looked at, okay, what's the next step? And standalone consulting just seemed, uh, I thought it was going to be easier. So you you had the idea to go standalone. Yep. Right. So tell me about that. So that's working along... um, notice period and you must have a good relationship because you, you you're kind of starting something that's going to compete with perform hr yeah and i was really lucky um there was an agreement that if there was two small clients that were going to come with me i had a like obviously um the position i was in i had a restraint period yep. but 
I was always going to and always have it's a completely different model we actually don't do outsourced HR Mm -hmm. so right up front when I was doing the planning it was okay what are the things I'm not going to do Um, you know I don't like I've done those things those are not my things Um, that belongs over there but what's it look like over here for me so it was always I wanted to come back to um, the experience that I'd had and I've said it a couple of times now but when working in Brisbane I was really lucky that I had a really good manager like phenomenal um, hands down still the best mentor I've ever had and I wanted to come back to that notion that as a standalone consultant I could be mentoring people for them to be solving these problems themselves I mean HR um, yes it can be complex customers yeah customers like it's it's um, not whilst HR um, can be complex it's not something that can't be learned and it's process driven and there's a way to take I think the stigma out of it so the the notion around being standalone was to go back to that um, that feeling of being a mentor in that space rather than someone just handing over advice that maybe wasn't taken or was taken and, and essentially giving people an answer I wanted to be less about giving them the answer and more about um, coaching and mentoring them through the process themselves so that the next time it happens they actually have some understanding around how to do that and they'll be able to do that better yep. so that's a cool philosophy yeah it was and uh, I enjoy it it's still our whole like five sevens whole philosophy is built on that that's still our primary mode of operation um, I did think it was only going to be 20 hours a week it was not 20 hours a week and about six months in I needed help so got the first employee so and then it was just (laughs) kept going from there. Before we talk about that we might take a quick break to hear about Business Synergy and our sponsor and then we'll come back and learn more about your business. At Business Synergy we are more than just bookkeepers we are your outsourced accounts team who do bookkeeping, payroll, accounts payable, accounts receivable, management reporting, end of financial year prep, STP, IAS, BAS, add-on integration and more. Ooh, sounds like a fun list, doesn't it? Why not let us take it off your hands? But we are even more than that. We are your experience, knowledge, base and a need to listen. Gain access to a mix of bookkeeping and accounting skills without the need to worry about space, training, key person reliance, supervision and unexpected leave. We give you time back and help you know where you're going and how you'll get there. Let us be your human and caring support crew. Biz Synergy, creating synergy in your business. You can find us on Google or Facebook. All right, 5-7, I'm intrigued. Where did that name come from? I get asked that a lot. Um, Part of me wishes I had come up with a better um, reason for having that name, but at the time, that was actually the age that the children were. Ah, nice. So it became sort of a bit of a snapshot in time and that sort of hark back to, okay, you can remember why you're doing this. And I think there was also that piece that when you start a, a business and everyone says, you've got to have a great name. So you've got the dictionary out and you're using all of the synonym functions and then you're searching the internet to make sure it's not already taken and all the good words are taken, just in case you were wondering. So it literally came down, I think it was about 10 o'clock at night and a really good friend who was helping me with the website <laughs> um, sent me a text message and said, I can't start the website until you give me a name. I need it by midnight. Yeah. 
was like, okay, and that, it was five seven. <laughs> but that's Bo was five, Georgia was seven, and yeah, that was yeah. the name of the company. It was some time later before we realised it is actually also the name of a handgun. <laughs> okay, there you go. So yeah. As a non-handgun enthusiast, I didn't know that. No, neither did I until <laughs> someone did a Google image search. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's it. Was I get asked a lot. Um, I tried to come up with you know, sort of a better explanation. Maybe I was only going to work seven hours a day, five days a week. Mm. Um, That's what I thought it was, something like that. Yeah, no, it was mm. literally the age. Yeah, mm. okay. That's cool. Did you think about that from, you, you, like you said, you probably were telling me that, you know, I, I always joke about the Toys R Us theory. Googling toys and Toys R Us uh, makes it pretty evil. If someone was to Google your segment, I suppose you've got the Google AdWords and stuff now, but 5.7 is not something someone's going to type in nope so. nope did not really think that through either yep. and look at that stage i think because i didn't there was no grand plan around world domination or anything like that it really just was to wind it back a bit um you'd had, had that constant roller coaster of working full-time studying full-time having a baby going back to work having another baby going back to work and it was kind of like okay and breathe for a little while so Perhaps if I had my time again, I'd maybe go put a little more effort into that. But I think it also gave us a really unique opportunity to build something from scratch. Um, you can't Google it. Um, people do ask questions. Yep. Um, it's, it'll just evolve, I guess, o- over yeah. time. No, so. you can have some fun with it. Yeah. That's what marketing's all about. Yeah. yeah. Um, tell me about the business. So you've talked about at the startup the why. Um, Give me, give me the nuts and bolts. So you're, you're mentoring yep. and you're teaching. Give me some examples. Don't need to name names, but just step us through. What are you doing? So our whole, the whole premise of the business is built around us being able to build internal capability for our clients. Um, we somewhat make ourselves redundant. I was going to ask that. Is that, <laughs> is that the goal? Yeah, it, it's... We don't want to have the same contract with our clients year in, year out, hmm. um, or we're not doing a good job. So we will often work with clients on what's most painful, which as most business owners know, tends to be anything involving their people. So we normally start working with our clients because they've got a people problem, whether they need an investigation, it's a disciplinary matter, it's an unfair dismissal. And from there, we tend to get a lot of visibility around what their internal capability is. And it gives us that window to talk to them around, okay, do you know if your managers could do these conversations better or had better resources around these processes, you would avoid these situations again. So it gives us that opportunity to go in at one point and then work with the client over a period of time. Um, interestingly, they don't, we don't, think they're always there. So we've still got the same clients we had four years ago. The people problems still exist. It's just that they themselves evolve. So clients that we've had sort of in 2017, where we may have been fighting fires with them, so to speak, as people issues. And then we did, you know, the next 12 months, we might've been working with them on training and development for their team. And then this last period, we may have been working with specific managers on mentoring them through their leadership and management skills. And it's just, it's nice to have that visibility. Consulting so are these can be training programs, or is it bespoke to the customer? They're all bespoke to the yeah. customer. So we will go in and actually work out like basically what's the problem. Yeah. 
um, we when we were do, when I was doing the whole process around what am I not going to do? Um, outsourced HR was one of them. We don't offer that outsourced model. You know, we do referrals to, to companies that do. And then the other one uh, was off the shelf. So, and sometimes we do, we get calls. Can I just buy a template policy? Yeah. Like you can, you can Google that. Yeah. <laughs> but what we offer is actually, we will give you a, a policy, but we will actually also educate you on how to use it. Yeah. Don't roll out a policy if you don't understand what your obligations are around yeah, it. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it works well. And I know you said earlier about, you know, being a consultant and, not being able to see into the future and what happens. Mm. And I think we are really lucky with our model that it does, we do get to watch our clients and we get to watch HR managers become HR executives. Um, So we get to watch that growth. So you're embedding yourself in their (laughs) organisation. We are. Yeah, great. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. Tell me about the the customer base. Is it mainly mum and dad businesses or is it medium size? Is it a bit of a mix? Who do you work with? Um, we don't have interestingly we don't have an ideal client we get asked that oh every business coach would be telling you you need to write that down you need to have that and you need to know what your ideal client is 15 years without that yeah it was just one of those things that we get repeatedly asked and um, I say we don't have we don't have a size we don't have an industry we don't even have a location we do have a mentality though so our ideal client doesn't want us to just come and solve the problem they want to actively work with us to understand it understand the process and have some buy-in in in that outcome and we have been pretty hard and fast around that over the last three years and it has i mean it's it's worked well Mm -hmm. it means though that we get to work across a huge breadth of clients we have we do have mum and dad Mm -hmm. businesses we do have not-for-profits um we are in the Hunter, so we have a lot of mining, manufacturing, yep. and we have a couple now of global clients where we support either their Australian operations or that mix around their head office from the US. And if you've worked with any clients in the US, they think they have a particular opinion around our employment system. So they we help them and work with them around I, understanding that. When I worked in HR and manufacturing <laughs> for a US company, and uh, they would look at us and go, so you pay your people more to go on holiday? <laughs> or <laughs> we go, just just let us do what we need to do. Okay, don't ask questions. <laughs> or I can't just fire them. Yeah. No. Um, so it is. It's. I love it, and it's exciting for the team to get to work across all these different industries. And I think the value from our clients' perspective is you can be a mum and dad's mm. business. You're getting the same consultant that that global conglomerate has for their work. So they're bringing that same level of expertise and our model doesn't price mum and dad's out because they're only paying for the time that they use. So it's it's nice and we have sort of things like a pay it forward program. So every year we have an annual pay it forward program where small businesses or not for profits or charities can put themselves forward or other people forward and get their 12 month support for free. Yeah, so we've been doing that for, this will be our third, 2021 will be our third year. That's a cool idea. Um, Tell me some of the people who benefit. So we've had a small business in Sydney, a speech pathology yep. um, that was going through a huge amount of change and um, difficulty. And so they went into the program. We've Who's, had- Who do you select? 
Pardon? Do you select? Do you go, these are the most worthy, or is it just random, or how's it work? Um, we've selected yeah. to date. I don't know what we're going to do for next year yet. We may have to get um, the sponsor, Deb, involved yeah. in that one. But it's it's usually needs-based, um, and this last year we had two because yeah. <laughs> I couldn't say no to, yeah. to either of them. So we've had uh, twice we've had community organisations, so we've had a community-based daycare um, childcare organisation and it was when all of the changes were coming in around childcare so that was a really difficult time for that industry so we made a conscious choice to pick two in that industry and we've had um, a couple of not-for-profits okay. so small and not-for-profit organisations and it just I think it's also a great um, learning exercise for those organisations because it's just they wouldn't have access to a consultant at the level yeah. that some of the team are at yep. without it. So Tell me about it. So you started three years ago. Yep. One person. Yep. Where's the business at now? There are nine of us. Nine. Awesome. So um, we are based So you'd be working Brisbane 20, 20 hours? Oh, just... Like you said, oh, 15. Cleaning the house, sure the kids are happy. <laughs> nope. Still can't open my linen cupboard without anything <laughs> falling out. Um, we have... And it's a mix um, of part-time, full-time, one casual... She's our specialist, so she pops in and out as we need her because she's in many other things, rural fire service. And from Brisbane down, so the one, I guess, benefit of COVID is that we, you know, probably like you, it's that education piece around we don't need to be where you are, we can still support you. Um, COVID made that really easy for us. So because of that that's when we put on two we put on actually put on two new people this year so it'll be really interesting for someone like you like we're seeing it in the recruitment space you know even seek seek now has a work from home section yeah. uh, more and more businesses are going to employ people to work uh, from home that's going to really impact the employment relation in hr sector. it is it is and i think there was always that level of nervousness this year you know you've got a team you've got employees you know you there's a yeah. dependency there um thinking okay, I don't know what's gonna like what's gonna happen here and we were really lucky that whilst some clients had to put some of their projects on hold the majority sort of had that mentality no we need to keep going with these yeah, things this going. is about our people our people need support they're all isolated and working from home and you know there was people can still misbehave on zoom so yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were still needed and it <laughs> um yeah it, it just it grew it really did grow from there this year and gave us an opportunity to see from our consulting perspective to have those moments where go, there are things that we can do better. Yeah. And working from home and supporting our clients to understand that model was one of those. We'd been doing it for years and we had clients who were doing it for the first time. So they're saying, how do I know that they're working? Yeah. What if they're at home watching you know, yeah. Oprah? So it's, it was interesting. Yeah, I could imagine. Tell me about the vision. So you started it with this ideal. Where do you want to go with it? We're going to keep going. Mm -hmm. Um, We have, so interestingly, right before COVID hit, so at the start of this year, we did our first business planning day. So our growth to date has always been, probably like my career, unconscious. Um, We were unconsciously good at it, so we kept going. And at the start of this year, we really decided that, no, we're actually going to put some structure around this. And I was going to 
I, I love, and I've said it, I Doesn't love the strategy. Doesn't that come back to the end of the strategy? Yeah, I was about to say, wouldn't, wouldn't this person who loves strategy have strategy in place? You would think, I mean, I always had um, a particular vision, but because it had changed so much, it was like, okay. And it was a bit like that, you know, the oh, skits where it's like, and yes, and yes. But you're also, that's, you've ventured into small business land. Yeah. You zig, you zag, you take an opportunity, you move over there, you do what you need to do, and the strategy will come. But there's not many businesses, there's a few out there that, that, that can afford or they have another income stream or whatever, or someone's second business where they go, okay, we're going to put 12 months into yeah. planning this. We're going to look at the market. We're going to look at our pricing. We're going to look at these marketing strategies. We're going to look at the employment stuff and then launch. You've launched and gone, okay, where am I going to go? Yeah, what now? Yeah. And that was, you know, I looked at all of those things and thought, well, I don't. I can't afford to do those things. Mm. I'm just going to wing it and hope that it works. And it did. And we winged it for quite a while. And then at the start of this year, I said, well, literally, this is what we can achieve without a business plan. What can we actually achieve if we have one? And so we put, we spent the day and we went through what are all our problems? What are our blocks? Did that whole business planning strategy and came up with some new goals for the next 12 months. Ironically, then COVID hit. And then like a big, you know, goal for five years around what that might look like at that five-year point um, credit to the team because we're about to do our end of year and review what our targets were for this last two quarters and they've actually managed to tip them all off so that was a it was impressive given the environment we've been in so very proud of them but yeah, in five years I think we worked out it would be four and a half times the size it is now um, and one of my team would step into a GM role okay. and I would sort of step out to the side. So we've yep. got sort of five years to start to let go yeah, of some of go. these <laughs> some of these things. And it is going to be that journey of you know, you're in the business, you own the business, you run the business, you manage the team and you do all of these and you've got a relationship with all of the clients. And we have finally hit that size that, you know, I was watching something come through Trello the other day mm-hmm. and like, I don't know who that is. Yeah. That moment, I'm like, I actually don't. How do you feel about that? I struggle still. Yeah. After 15 years, I love my customers. I love to do the work still after 15 years. And we're the same. We have staff now that take care of pieces of work and a person will get placed somewhere and I've gone, I don't know that person. I didn't interview that person. I have no idea if this is going to fit. It's sometimes really hard to, as a, as a dad of the business to let go. How yeah. do you go with that? Um, I did have to, I did just have a little sneaky look yeah. at the card and find out the details. Um, it's, 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 it's an odd sensation because yeah. it's that mix of, oh, I'm so proud. And then, wait, you know, do I need to be across this? Do I need to understand? Should I have met someone? <laughs> I did have that moment where I was like, did I forget something? Um, it's, uh, uh, yeah, it'll be a bit of a journey. Mm. You're a bit further ahead than I am. And it's even just other things. Our last, we have an assistant consultant, so we always try and make sure that we have a new grad that gets to, you know, dabble in consulting and uh, work with the team and hopefully move up and we fill that position again. And this time I didn't do the interviewing or the recruitment, so they don't report to me. So we'd already sort of started that process of um, trying to push some of that autonomy down. So it's kind of taking strategy to a different level even again and I get to do the 
one of my team says I get to do the fun stuff with the clients now. So yeah, they do the, the in the weeds has gone mm-hmm. back down to the consultant and the consulting team. And I now do a lot more work with the clients around the strategy and yep. workforce planning and business planning. And Excellent. then the work back. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, I've enjoyed this conversation, but before you leave, uh, I've talked to you at the start, we have a time machine, Career Conversations podcast time machine. If we could rewind the clock to 20-year-old Jane, given what you know today, what advice would you give her? Um, it's hard. It's, it's unusual to think about if I go back and change something, then maybe I wouldn't be change, right here. Just advice. Um, I think the advice that I would give 20-year-old Jane is it'll just happen by default anyway. Um, you, you make these choices. There's no wrong choices for saying that nothing's permanent except for green tattoos and children. <laughs> um, but it, whatever choice you make, you can make it work. Um, I'd also probably go back an extra couple of years and then tell my high school self that that grade didn't quite matter as much as I thought it was going to. Yeah. Well, that's a good piece of advice for yeah. all the kids listening as they're finishing their HSC and moving on to their career path. Yep. Great piece of advice. Yeah. Well, excellent. I want to give a shout out to Deb uh, from Biz Synergy for introducing us and uh, having you on as a guest today for her sponsored podcast. And good luck with 57. Thank you. Excellent. Yeah, Thanks, Jane. Thanks. A special thank you to our guest today, Jane McConville, but also all of our listeners that engage in our podcast and send us feedback. We really enjoy uh, learning more about why you like and listen to our podcast. With regards to Jane, you'll find some contact details around her business and LinkedIn on the uh, notes component of our website where the podcasts are stored. Again, a special thanks to our sponsor for today, Deb Mirish and the team at Biz Synergy. Again, if you loved our podcast, please drop us a note, give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify, and we look forward to bringing you more great career conversation podcasts. I'm your host, Craig McGregor, and thanks again for listening.